Well, today we are continuing our series, What We Know About the Future, uh, by looking in a little more detail at a topic that's already been referenced multiple times during the series. It's a fun topic, the tribulation. And so I am approaching this topic today, this message, by uh, providing overview answers to four questions, okay? What is the tribulation? What are the warning signs of the tribulation? So what's telling us that the, the tribulation is about to arrive? What will happen during the tribulation? And will believers be on earth during the tribulation? So those four questions are what we're going to deal with uh, today. The message is going to come primarily out of Matthew chapter 24, which we'll read part of here shortly. And then the message also comes out of a very large section of the book of Revelation, uh, Revelation the 6th chapter through the 18th chapter, uh, which we're only going to read a few verses of, uh, but from which an overview that I'm going to share with you of those chapters will uh, cover uh, the third and fourth questions uh, that are on your outline. So let's jump right into this. What is the tribulation? The Greek word that often gets translated into English as tribulation is a word that carries the basic meaning of trouble that inflicts distress. Trouble that inflicts distress. So, so a tribulation is any trouble that causes distress uh, to come upon people for people to feel uh, distress. We, of course, in our day-to-day -day lives talk about our trials and tribulations, don't we? Uh, we, we have a lot of trials and tribulations that we experience in life. And, and trouble that inflicts distress is pretty common uh, to the human experience. But of course, there are times where troubles intensify and stress intensifies, distress intensifies to the point that we've got a pretty big problem on our hands. Like, times are really tough. A time of significant tribulation that we've referenced already uh, in this series that's happened in history uh, is the time of the Roman siege of Jerusalem around A.D. 66 to 70, 71, somewhere in there, uh, which we have acknowledged, I've acknowledged, that I believe is a likely near-term fulfillment of a number of the things that Jesus warned his disciples of in Matthew 24. But as you read through Matthew 24, you find things that suggest that there is an even greater experience of tribulation to which Jesus' warnings point. A period of tribulation that still lies in the future uh, from our present day. I think we have a hint that it lies in the future from our present day because Jesus said in Matthew 24, 30, and 31 that at the conclusion of the time of tribulation, he will return with power and great glory. And of course, we know that has not happened yet. This time of tribulation that's coming is a time when evil will flourish in the world. It's already happening but it will flourish even more in the world, and God's wrath toward the wicked will be revealed, and signs of coming judgment will be revealed. Revelations chapter 6 through 18 details some of the events of the tribulation, and again, I'm going to share a brief overview of those uh, here in a minute. 
In Matthew 24, 21 and 22, Jesus said the following about the tribulation uh, that awaits the world at some point in the future, the great tribulation. Here's what he said. For then there will be great distress, great tribulation, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. So the tribulation is a period of time when evil will flourish. The wrath of God will be revealed against the wicked. It will be a time of greater distress than the world has ever seen. And it's generally understood to be a period of seven years with increasing distress, increasing tribulation as those years advance. Next question. What are the warning signs of the tribulation? What can we expect to happen that will indicate that the time of tribulation is approaching? Jesus answered that in Matthew 25, uh, 24, 5 through 14. We've previously read this uh, section in the series, but I want to read it again today. And remember what we're reading here is Jesus answering this question from his disciples, What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? So what are going to be the signs uh, that we should start expecting that you're going to return and that the end of the age is upon us? And here's what Jesus said. I think it'll be on the screen behind me. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most, uh, some uh, translations say many, I'm not sure what the translation we put up there uh, says, but the, the NIV says most, many translations say many, will grow cold, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So let's just list out from that section of scripture, the things Jesus said will be indicators of that uh, time of his coming and the end of the age, which include the tribulation. Here here are uh, indicators uh, of that. Verse 5 tells us deception is an indicator of the approaching end of the age. False Christ who deceive many people. Verses 6 through 7 tell us wars and rumors of wars. Nations in conflict with each other. Verse 7 tells us famines and natural disasters such as earthquakes. Verse 9 tells us Christians will be hated, persecuted, and even put to death, martyrdom. Verse 10 tells us about apostasy. Many will turn away from the faith. And verse 12 again tells us that the love of many or most will grow cold. Love for God will grow cold. And you know, it's people who have said they love God. Their, their love for him is growing cold. Verse 12, there will be 
uh, an increase of wickedness. And in the midst of all that bad news, verse 14, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the entire world. So if we look at our present day, I think that we can see that these things are happening. Most of these things are happening. There is great deception in our day. People are being led away by false teachers to an extent that really boggles the mind. It really does. Wars and rumors of wars and nations rising against nation. Check. Natural disasters. Check. The world hunger map shows several countries in the world where more than 35% of the population faces chronic hunger. And at the end of 2019, some 135 million people were living with acute hunger. While we don't face martyrdom for, the, for our faith in the United States, even though we sometimes act like we do, uh, Christians in other parts of the world do face death because of their faith in Christ. People are being martyred in the world today because of their connection to Jesus, because of their faith in Jesus, because of their witness for Christ. Persecution. Believers around the world are facing persecution. Now, uh, I think we'd have to rate the persecution of Christians here in the United States as being uh, quite mild. Again, we don't always see it that way, but if you, if you look at the, the world, we would have to say our persecution is rather mild. But I do believe we're seeing evidence that we could face escalating persecution here in the United States. One indication of this to me is that it seems to me that most of our cultural institutions, most of our national institutions have become quite antagonistic to any expression of faith that is anything more than a cultural tip of the hat to the faith we once took seriously. I heard someone say recently of recent Supreme Court uh, justice a nominee and uh, was confirmed Amy Coney Barrett said she's Catholic she's really Catholic they're evangelical I mean they're really evangelical they actually believe it anything more than a little tip of the cap to something that we used to take seriously I believe is falling out of favor Deception and apostasy, check. The stories of prominent Christians rejecting faith are everywhere, everywhere. Increasing numbers of people are identifying as non-religious, spiritual but not religious, as the faith of the Bible is rejected in favor of an eclectic belief system. A little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit from Buddhism, a little bit from... Uh, Islam, uh, a little bit from, uh, you know, naturalist, uh, you know, Native American uh, spirituality. Uh, I'll just cobble it all together and I have my own belief system. And here's one of the, the things that is almost always true in these cobbled together belief systems. They're almost always evidenced by rejection of the sexual ethics of the Bible. Interesting. And then in the midst of all of this bad, 
There's one really good sign of the approaching end of the age. The gospel continues to be preached throughout the world. Now, I've said before, we don't know exactly how God defines the gospel having been preached to the whole world. You know, there may be some sense in which that has already occurred, but as Stan pointed out a few weeks ago, faithful Christians are actively working to reach every known people group in the world. And as Stan also pointed out a few weeks ago, uh, these organized efforts to reach every uh, people group in the world, they believe that it may be achievable within the next five years. Isn't that an exciting thing? And so we see these signs in our world today, and, and the truth is that these signs have existed to vary, varying degrees throughout the entirety of the church age. They're not unique to us. But all of these things are happening in our time, and some of them, gospel proclamation as an example, are happening in a way that suggests the time of the end could be in the not-too-distant future. Now, for the entire church age, it's been getting closer. It's always getting closer, but it could be that these signs are telling us that it's perhaps in the not-too-distant future future. If you consider all these things that Jesus listed as signs of the approaching end of the age and his return, it's fair to note that other than gospel proclamation, all of these are troubles that inflict distress. They're tribulations. To varying degrees and intensity, the entire church age has been a time of tribulation. And so when the tribulation to which we refer when we talk about the tribulation actually arrives, what it's really going to be is an intensification of already present tribulation. Present tribulation will lead into a time of great tribulation. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 24, 21, and 22 again. For then there will be Great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. So knowing what the tribulation is, and knowing what the signs that indicate the approach of the great tribulation are, let's consider a third question. What will happen during the tribulation. And to answer that, we would need to read Revelation 6 through Revelation 18, 13 chapters of Scripture. And we're not going to do that today, but I encourage you to do that. Instead, what I'm going to do is give an overview of that, uh, of those chapters that's provided in the book, 40 Questions About the End Times, by author Eckerd Schnabel or Schnabel. I don't know. I'm going, with, I'm going with Schnabel. I don't know which way to say it. We apologize, Mr. Schnabel, for laughing at your name. Please, please forgive us. Uh, he is a distinguished professor of New Testament at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. Now, I want to give a quick disclaimer as we enter into this. 
Uh, many people view the events found in Revelation 6 through 18 as describing the seven-year period of the tribulation. Mr. Schnabel views Revelation 6 through 18 as describing, quote, the last period of human history on earth, and he defines that as being the time between Christ's first and second coming. So he basically views it as the entire uh, history of the church age. So he points out that some of what we read about in Revelation 6 through 18 has been a reality since the first century, but other things we read about have not yet occurred or will occur with greater intensity uh, during the tribulation. Now, I don't disagree with him uh, that some of what's been listed or what we'll look at uh, has been a reality since the first century, but it does seem to me that what we read about in these chapters uh, is um, stuff that has not really been a reality throughout the history of the church age, or the severity of what is described so far surpasses anything uh, that has been a reality that I do tend to agree with those who say that this is describing the seven-year period of the tribulation. But these are all those kind of things that it's just like, hey, we're in, we're in Revelation now. <laughs> we, 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 we can't say a whole lot of things with absolute certainty. So, you know, make up your own minds on these things. But however one views that, what chapters 6 through 18 lay out for us are three series of seven judgments each. And the three series of judgments are the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and the seven bowls. And so let's first consider the seven seals. And you can read about these in Revelation 6, 1 through 17, and Revelation 8, 1 through 5. You might want to write some of this down on your outline. And here are the judgments known as the seven seals. Wars of conquest, international unrest with people and nations killing each other, famine and hunger, one-fourth of humanity killed due to war, famine, plague, and wild animals, persecution, earthquakes, the sun darkened, the moon turns red, stars fall from the sky, and the sky recedes like a scroll, silence pierced by thunder, lightning, and earthquakes. Now, it seems to me that we can confidently say some of these things have been happening throughout the history of the church, but some of these things certainly are events that uh, have not yet occurred, at least it seems that way uh, to me. The second set of seven judgments are known as the seven trumpets. And these can be read about in Revelation 8, 6 through 9, 21, and 11, 15 through 19. And here are the judgments known as the seven trumpets. Hail, fire, and blood fall on the earth, and a third of the vegetation is burned up. Mountains thrown into the sea, and one-third of the sea creatures die, and one-third of maritime commerce dies. Stars fall from the sky into the rivers, and one-third of the rivers and springs are poisoned, and many people die. Sun, moon, and stars are compromised in some way, and one-third of the day becomes dark. The sun and air are darkened by locusts. Locusts torment mankind. Here's a fun one. A demonic horde invades the earth, and one-third of humanity is killed. The seventh, God's coming reign is announced and accompanied by lightning, thunder, earthquakes, and a great hailstorm. 
The third and final set of judgments is called the seven bowls. It can be read about in Revelation 15.1 through 16.21, and here are the judgments known as the seven bowls. Festering sores on the earth's inhabitants. Sea turns to blood, and all sea creatures die. Rivers turn to blood. The sun scorches people. The beast kingdom is darkened, and there is agony upon the earth. Rivers dry up to prepare the way for the armies for the final battle. And there is a proclamation of the end accompanied by lightning, thunder, a great earthquake where the cities of the nations collapse and the islands and mountains disappear and huge hailstones rain upon the earth. Schnabel points out that each subsequent series of judgments seem to indicate an intensification of judgment. Sobering, sobering information, a sobering reality that awaits the earth at some point in the future. Now, there are all kinds of questions that all of this presents us. How much of this do we take literally? How much of it is symbolic are two big questions that people wrestle with. I tend to believe that we're to take things literally unless there's some compelling reason that we should not take them literally. And so I don't see much reason why we shouldn't take most or all of this uh, pretty literally. However you want to land on questions like that, here's the inescapable truth. The great tribulation is going to be a time like the world has never seen. Evil will flourish and the wrath of God is going to be unleashed on mankind. And so now we come to our fourth and final question, a really important question, in light of how awful the time of tribulation is going to be. Will believers be on the earth during the tribulation? Will believers be on the earth during the tribulation? As I acknowledged last week, I think it's fair to guess that most evangelicals during our lifetimes have believed that Christians will be raptured before the tribulation. And as I said last week, I'm guessing that if we took a survey of our congregation, that that's what most of this congregation would say, is that we're going to be raptured before the congregation. And there are good arguments to be made for this view. If you hold this view, it's, that's perfectly fine. It's a, it's a fine view to, to hold. Uh, one argument that Christians who hold this view make is that the tribulation will be a time of the outpouring of God's wrath, which is true, and that Christians are never going to be on the receiving end of God's wrath, and so it wouldn't be appropriate for Christians to be here on the earth during the time when the wrath of God is being poured out against mankind. Another argument is that Jesus promised in Revelation 3.10, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming upon the whole world to try those who dwell upon the earth. Proponents of this view also note that it is the view that most makes it possible to believe that Jesus could return at any moment, which is what Jesus seemed to, to want us to believe. The view that says believers will be on the earth during the tribulation respond to each of these points by noting a few things. They note that not all the suffering of the tribulation will be a result of God's wrath. That much of it will simply be because of wickedness and persecution. And so while believers will suffer hardship and even martyrdom 
it'll be due to wickedness, not due to God's wrath. Closely related, they answer that Revelation 3.10 was written to a specific church and that it most likely, specifically, was a promise for protection during the time of the Roman siege. But they also note that even if it applies to the Great Tribulation, God can keep believers from His wrath even while wrath is being poured out all around them. And of course, we we saw that he did that with the children of Israel at the time of the Exodus when the plagues were poured out on the Egyptians, but God's people were kept safe from the devastation that was happening all around them. Proponents of this view also note that the pre-tribulational view is not the only one that believes Christ's coming could be soon. Any view that says that the signs of the end might already be fulfilled, unlikely but might, or that they could be fulfilled very quickly, still allow for the return of Christ to be something that we see as being able to happen uh, very soon. And then here are some additional thoughts uh, to support the idea that believers will be on the earth during the tribulation. First of all, the New Testament nowhere clearly says that believers will be taken out of the world before the tribulation. The doctrine of the pre-tribulational rapture of the church is an inference from several passages that all have other possible, and some would argue even more likely, meanings. Here's one that's of special interest to me. And I'm sorry, I know I'm probably going against the grain of most most of you. But but this is one that's of special interest to me. The fact that the belief in a pre-tribulational rapture does not occur within Christianity until the 19th century. Prior to that, believers for the first 18 centuries believed that they would go through the tribulation and that the catching up of believers or the rapture and the second coming of Christ were one and the same event. And so to me, it seems a, a, a little odd to think that in the 19th century, uh, we suddenly discovered that believers for the first 18 centuries had, had overlooked And so that that seems a little hard for me to wrap my brain around. It's also of interest to me that Jesus says in Matthew 24, 22, that the days of tribulation will be cut short on behalf of the elect. Seems to me like the elect are going through something. And the days are going to be cut short because of them. So as I acknowledged last week, this is not something the believers have to agree on. So consider the evidence for yourself. And whichever position you take, that is perfectly fine. Make your own, uh, take your own uh, position, make your own decision. Now last week I said that if I was under the threat of physical harm and had to state my own position, I'd have to acknowledge that I lean toward the belief that Christians will be on the earth during the tribulation. Now, since I am not under physical threat, no, no, nobody has threatened me physically, and really there's nobody here that would scare me if they did. So, so okay, there actually are a couple. There actually are a couple. Mole's one of them. Mole is one of them. Is Mole here? Yeah, he's one of them. <laughs> I've heard stories that scare me, so... So anyway, but I'm not under threat of physical harm. So the truth is that I am freely acknowledging to you that this is the position 
that I lean toward. But make your own decision, okay? But to wrap this up, I want to consider one final question based on what I tend to believe about this. If we are on the earth during the tribulation, what will our role be? What will we be doing? Like, what will God have for us during the tribulation? And there are three things that I want to highlight. You're going to like the first answer. If this position is correct and we're on the earth during the tribulation, we will be protected from God's wrath. We'll be protected from God's wrath. We are not going to be recipients of God's wrath. Revelation 9.4, Revelation 3.10 and other places support this. Revelation 9.4 tells us that only those who are not sealed by God will receive his wrath. Now, full disclosure, it's talking about one of the specific judgments where it says that, but if you put it with all of the scriptural support, we, we know that believers are not going uh, to suffer God's wrath. Believers will be protected from God's wrath. We are not appointed to wrath, and so we will be protected from it. Uh, Put yourself in that story of the children of Israel at the time of the Exodus. Can you imagine how amazing it must have been for them to watch the wrath of God, the, the plagues, come down on the people all around them, but not touch them? Can, can you imagine how amazing that would be? Plagues everywhere, Egyptians suffering but not a single plague touched them. If this view is right, that we'll be here during the tribulation, that will be the experience of believers during the tribulation. What an amazing faith-building thing that will be. Protected, sheltered in the arms of God, wrath all around, but protected and safe from God's wrath. The second role that we'll have during the tribulation is that we'll be bearing witness to Christ and to the gospel. Missionary witness will be part of our calling. We'll do what we're called to do now. Proclaim the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Tell people they can be saved from God's wrath through faith in Jesus Christ. Proclaim that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish, but would have everlasting life. Hey, you see this death and destruction all around us? We have the answer as to how that doesn't have to be your reality. Faith in Jesus. Gospel witness is going to be our calling. And finally, like the early church, and like Christians throughout history, and like many Christians in the world today, we will be called to conquer evil in the strangest of ways, through suffering. And some, not all, but some, will be called to martyrdom, to give their lives for remaining faithful to Jesus, and proclaiming his life, death, and resurrection. We'll be protected from God's wrath, but we will not be protected from the increased wickedness in the world. 
and the work of the beast. Now, I happen to believe that there will be nations in the world, there will be places in the world during the tribulation where very little persecution will take place. Just, just my, own, my own thought about this. And then there will be other places in the world where persecution will be intense. What will be the case with the United States? We don't know. Don't know. Perhaps, you know, we uh, find out that the United States is going to be a place where this will be much less intense than much of the world. Perhaps we find out that the United States is going to be a place where persecution is really intense. We just don't know. There's no way to know. We'll find out as we live through it. I'll say this. We have no obligation to desire suffering for the cause of Christ. We have no obligation to desire suffering. I, I hope that if the inclination I have as to uh, this question of whether we'll be here for the tribulation is right, I hope that somehow we're at a place on the earth where it's not intense. That's, that's, what, I, that's what I hope for. We, we don't have to desire suffering. But friends, if it comes to us, we will have an obligation to remain faithful to God and to demonstrate God's victory through suffering. You say, Brian, how does that happen? How do you demonstrate victory through suffering and martyrdom? Well, actually, Christians have lived this out throughout the entire history of the church. And Revelation 12, 11 tells us how you do it. How believers have always done it. They overcame him the enemy and all of his work. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. And by the word of their testimony, they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. They loved Jesus more than life. May that be true for every single one of us here today. May we love Jesus more than life, both now and should we be called to bear witness for him in the tribulation. Why don't you stand?